April 13th. Welcome to another episode of Man Day Monday. This is Richard K., the program director and founder of the Man Project, Influence Today for a Better Tomorrow, all-male mentoring and empowerment program. Um, what we do basically is just have uh, various guests talk about subjects that relate to men, um, whether they be um, socially, emotional, um, spiritual, um, just all around. Um, I think it's important from a male perspective uh, just to get an idea of of the state of the state of mind of men these days. So, um, also if you want to follow us on our social media platform, uh, you can do so um, with at T Man Project. That's at T M A N P R O J E C T. Uh, check our website out at tmanproject.org. Okay. Well, enough about the small plugs. I want to introduce, let our guest introduce himself. Um, he's not just a good man within the standings of Birmingham, uh, Alabama, and, and known nationally, but he's also my pastor. So I'm just real humble um, at this point to uh, just introduce him. His name is Andre Sparks. And um, go ahead, just tell him about yourself, Pastor. First of all, Richard, I want to I want to thank God for you and for the uh, ministry you created here through the Man Project. Thank God for your desire to uh, increase the knowledge of the importance of mentoring in our community. Um, and I also want to thank you for inviting me to be a, to be a guest voice on the show. I, uh, I've had the honor for the last uh, 16 years in our community of serving as a senior pastor at 45th Street Baptist Church over in the East Lake community. I've also had the honor of uh, serving as one of the uh, uh, members of the bench here in our legal community, and that's been the case for about the last 25 years in various capacities. So I'm so thankful um, that I get a chance to see uh, uh, and help people. That's awesome. That's awesome. Except I definitely uh, appreciate that, and and. Um, I think from especially your standpoint, you have a lot of insight on not just um, male situations, just male influences. Um, so I think that's what uh, me and my team talked about and was was one um, aspect on it because like I said, it's so important, um, not just the family at home, but in the community to get an understanding of the viewpoints of men. And everybody comes from different backgrounds, everybody comes from different ways of life. So we have to be able to um, reach them on any different type of um, level. So uh, it's probably it's probably instructive to know a little bit about my background. People don't people. I think people look at you and they assume based on where they see you at your present at your present state that, that maybe you've grown up a certain way. And right. you can't look at anybody and determine what their background is. Uh, God has been fortunate enough to uh, make make sure that a whole lot of us don't look like what we've been through, and, right. and so that's a that's a that's a wonderful thing. I uh, I had the fortune of uh, growing up here in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was uh, I was the eldest child of three in Doris and Cedric's home. I know that Doris and Cedric didn't get married until I was until I was four years old. Um, because I was at the wedding. I, remember, I, <laughs> I mean, just keeping it real. I remember right. the wedding. That was uh, my my grandparents lived in Illinois City over in 
in North Birmingham and the home is still there. But the wedding at that time was at the house on the front porch. So you can't get no more real than that. No real, wasn't it? So I was yeah. there, man. So uh but but Cedric Sparks, Cedric Lewis Sparks, mayor of the moment, nineteen sixty-eight, and um and then we moved eventually to West End and and Chandra, my sister and Cedric Dewan uh, uh, was they were born, uh, and so I found out later in life that, uh, and I, I I never really knew it until I was about sixteen years old that Cedric Lewis wasn't my father. Um, yeah, so uh, he was he was gracious enough and kind enough to uh, to rear me, and he was gracious enough to give me his name, and I'll forever be grateful to him for that. Um, but uh, my father's name was uh, my biological father's name was Ralph D. Jarnett. He lived in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and I met him for the first time when I was in my middle 20s. I knew that Cedric wasn't my father, but I didn't know Ralph until I was in my middle 20s. And uh, um, let's just say uh, we, 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 I'm not going to say struggled at a relationship, it just yeah. wasn't natural. You understand? Yeah. What I'm saying? It wasn't yeah, yeah. I was just about to ask you how did that, how did that feel? You know. Uh, well, um, you know, he was when he, when I met him, uh, and I met him because my mother at the time was ill. She had leukemia and would die from years later from the disease, and she wanted me to meet him because she said you need to know your folk and you need to know your medical history. So you can understand all that's going on. I didn't even, to be honest with you, here I am at the time. I was a, I was a practicing attorney. Uh, I didn't understand all the significance of knowing all that medical history at the time. I do now. I can appreciate all that now. But um, so I met him, and we, you know, we did the dance you do when you don't know your daddy for the first twenty six yeah. years of your life. Right. And I, you know, I didn't need nobody to take me fishing. I was yeah. married. <laughs> right. I didn't. I mean, it was cool if we did, but I was married and had two children and had been married for quite a few years at that point. So uh, we struggled and, and, and didn't help. It didn't help, Richard, that Cedric Sparks uh, had died. And he and I had had a rocky relationship because of some, some substance abuse issues, some things that just didn't sit well. And yeah. uh, I had left home really when I was about seventeen years old to oh, college, and I never really, I never really came back formally after I left. It was, it was pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's a story in itself. That's a book in itself, man. You need to you need to put that in the book somewhere. <laughs> well, the people look at you and they think, you know. Yeah. You know, they don't know that that we all got struggles in our lives. Oh yeah. And so I want you to know this. I'm not making it out that I didn't have all the resources that I needed growing up. I did. I had loving grandparents and a loving family. So I, if I I didn't know I was missing something about <laughs> all right. Uh, a lot of you know a lot of us like that when we grow up. You know, looking back on it, we don't realize you know either the dangers we was encountering or. All that kind of stuff, you know. Cause my kids now they'll be like, "Dad, you grew up in this part of town." I say, "Yeah, I was fine though, cause you don't you don't realize you don't realize it. I mean, it's just it's just the neighborhood. I mean, <laughs> and I know I know I know you say you went to I think West End here in Birmingham, and like I, said, I went to whole family in Angeles. So you know, I, I show my kids my old neighborhood sometimes, and they said, "Dad, you grew up in but like you don't you know looking back on it, you don't think that is." You know, you could have your head could have get it blown off years back. That's just the way of life at that time. Well, it wasn't the West End that we see today has declined 
to uh, to a lot of extent. And the, the West End that we moved into in 1970 was a completely different look. Uh, in fact, just to put it in, in historical perspective, as we were moving in in 1970 into a house that was built for us on 18th Street, nobody's ever lived in that house but our family, except the people we've allowed to, to rent it uh, since our parents passed away. But uh, we moved into a bedroom community with mamas and daddies in every house, with you know intact family units. There was a lot of white flight from that neighborhood because those white folk who had the houses in the neighborhood were getting up out moving to the suburb. And so there was some good housing stock that people were moving into. And the community was great. West End was still being integrated when I came in, West End High School. When I came in in 1977, that was a decent population of white people still at, at West End High School. And so we kind of grew up in a changing time, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely, definitely, like you said, some stuff that we have to understand the, um, the concept of it. But I think it's um, Richard, at the end of my high school time in, in 1981, youth gangs were coming on the scene in Birmingham. That's when things started popping off. And if you remember, that's also the time when crack started getting real big in our community. It was things started declining significantly at that point. But I was exiting and I wouldn't be back for the next uh, 12 years, for real, not to live in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, so um, <clears throat> with that being said, I guess the role of leadership, um, you know, there's all kind of opportunities, you know, for leadership in our, in our lives and our things, but um, I, I guess with that type of background, um, if you could tell me about a time, you know, just kind of jump into what the subject is, tell me about a time you wanted to be a leader in some of your life, and um, what position did you aspire to be? Because I know you said going through that time you was um, studying to be an attorney. Yeah. So, yeah. so how did how did that roll from being meeting the dad that you never met uh, while trying to practice to be an attorney? How did that feel? I mean, what inspired you to be an attorney? I guess before before everything else. Well, I often sit back and wonder what what it was that sparked the interest in me uh, to become an attorney. I can tell you this: I didn't know any lawyers growing up. None. I didn't. I didn't meet a lawyer. Until I was in high school at West End. I guess I got the uh, notion from watching television and seeing uh, Perry Mason. I often say that that was the drive, the thing that sparked it for me watching Perry Mason and how smooth he was on TV. And, you know, a lot of people don't even know that cultural reference to Perry Mason. So, uh, but but uh, he was smooth. Not only was he smooth, uh, you know, he had an office, he had a beautiful secretary. I mean, he had all that stuff. And, yeah, and then he'd always win the cases, and that just stuck out. Yeah, so but 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 in terms of people in our community, particularly, in, I didn't know any lawyers, and the first lawyer I met came from me enrolling in a. Watch this now. Uh, this is in, this is the importance of institutions in our community. The Boy Scouts have currently an Explorers program, and at the time mm. they had a section of the Explorers program that was devoted to the legal community. And uh, and I joined that in high school because it was the closest thing I could find to trying to meet some lawyers. And when I joined, I met the first lawyer that I'd ever uh, known, and his name was Tom Larkin. 
Tom Watkins still practices here in Birmingham. In fact, he comes in the courtroom that I serve as judge in all the time. Um, but uh, he was the he was the first lawyer I ever met, and I ended up when I came back to Birmingham after being in the army as a JAG officer, uh, an army lawyer, being a part of the law firm that Tom Larkin had been a part of, and that was with uh, Arthur Shores and Helen Shores Lee's daughter. Uh, our, uh, uh, Tom Larkin had actually married Mr. Shores' youngest daughter and had been a part of that firm. It's amazing how God puts things together, man, in ways that never could. But that's the first lawyer I knew. And I just wanted to be, I, you know, that's, that's what I wanted to like, be. I never wanted to be anything else, but. Yeah. That's, that's, that's real awesome, man. That's, I'd say that's, that's there. You need to put this in the book. I'm not playing. Well, I don't know. I think this I think this story is maybe replicated all around the country. I think we just don't talk about it enough. We assume because of what we see in our community now. We see boards yeah. and we see we see ads all the time with black faces on it who say they have uh who say they have uh law degrees and are practicing. But when I came back to Birmingham in nineteen ninety three, I think we maybe had fewer than 300 black lawyers in, in the state of Alabama. Mm, yeah, my, my, I know. Um, I would see some few off the my, my mom, she worked for the Justice yeah. Department down, I think that's 4th Avenue. And she would say the same thing growing up. You know, she would just push you. She would say, you know, you're not from where you're not, you're not a product of where you grew up in. You know, it's, it's more out there. So I definitely, you know, applaud her and applaud, you know, men like you that <laughs> are inspired not to just be comfortable where you are but look beyond you know uh, as that uh, one thing I do want to <clears throat> another thing I want to do to ask uh, I guess what is a man I guess one thing that uh, you know we talk about value um, and leadership I guess a good question but what is a man that you see most valuable you know when dealing with uh, we have this the pandemic going on uh, the COVID-19 and I was telling my kids I said you guys you know 20-30 years from now this is going to be in y'all books you know this is going to be in 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 uh in your history books, you know, because this is this is this is real life history going on, you know, things that is, is unprecedented, and so um, I guess not, I, I guess not even really dealing with the distancing, but I guess um through any type of uncomfortable stage, um, I guess as, as for me and what do you see most value, but that they would need to, I guess grab hold of to use as as a product or. Um, show that in a family, or because this time, you know, this, you know, a lot of people just staying at home a lot, most of them, for the most part. So, you know, how, you know, they have to leave, you know, probably more than they have, because sometimes you have, you have your essential workers, of course, but there's a great percentage of people that has to be at home. So, what do you think those characteristics? I think dealing with this, or how would they need to um, examine themselves and up? Well, I, I think it's a it's a great question about the lessons that come out for, for, for me in particular. Um, I think they're probably the things that have been honing me all my life about what my role is. Uh, my role is as a father. I've got two children and uh, they're both married and I've got three grand three grandsons. And I learned early on that uh, there are about three things that it's my role to do as a father. The first thing I think is my primary role is to protect my family, uh, and I'm seeing that in this in this situation that that most of us who have have the ability and have placed ourselves in position are doing every single thing we can to protect our families. 
making sure that they're out of harm's way, uh, making sure that they are uh, that they only travel when necessary. We, we're doing everything we can to protect it. And it's, it's what's interesting about this, Richard, is that we're protecting them from something that can't be seen. And so it puts every right. man I know who's worth anything out of his comfort level. Because, you know, we used to trying to protect against things that you can visually see, or uh, you know might be coming, but this is something we don't know. And so we probably get, like me, my kids have probably realized that at this point in my life, I can seem a little paranoid about some things, you know, because because I'm not, I don't have the ability to control uh, all that's going on. So uh, protection is one thing. The second thing is provision. I'm so glad that God has placed us, placed me in a position where I can provide for my family like they need to, you know, so I can get the things they need to have done. And I'm looking around and I see people who may not have the basic provision. And so, of course, under those circumstances, we do everything we can to support them as the Lord allows us to. But provision is important, making sure we got the right food, making sure we got the right things we put in it. And so, you know, for some people, if you can't get it at the corner store or at the grocery store down the street, you're limited in what you can do in terms of providing for your family. But there are others of us who have the ability to order things online, have delivery, you know. And, and, and so I'm thankful to God that he's expanded my ability to provide for my family. Now, that hasn't just come overnight. That's because he's been so good and so graceful to us for a long time. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. So to protect my family, provide for my family. And then I think you know, the greatest thing that a father can do for his children is help them realize their particular promise. So uh, whatever a child's promise is, is unique to that child. And not making a child yeah. think that they have to do something because their brother did it or their sister did it is very important. I think God gives each one of us a little special self. And it's a parent's job to put that child in a place to identify what that special something is and then grow on it. Because if the child does that, then I think he can be working in the purpose that God has for him. And so, so protection, provision, and realizing that promise, I think. And so I'm seeing that come out of this, this situation in our society. When we are in this uh, cloister, this, this, this in the house view, that daddies are getting the opportunity to get in and certainly protect and provide. But they can spend some time with their children now. And it's just time that we haven't been able to spend. We can start seeing, you know, whether they're living in their promise or moving to it. I definitely agree with that because <clears throat> I know I've, I've seen so many people, um, you know, being, you know, pushed into that. And like I said, yeah, like a lot of times when things move out the way, sometimes it's, it's there to clear your path. And I think this is a, a good opportunity because, you know, we'd be so busy. And I think this is giving a lot of a lot of dads, a lot of moms really that time to really sit and examine you know how important they are in their lives you know um, getting that one-on-one um, teaching uh, you know taking on the homeschooling role and that kind of thing i think all that you know provides it at, at a point because i think in america i think it was so you know some things are disruptive and it has been disruptive but at the same time i think that it's come in at a, at a time where it's, it's getting us back to you know what really matters and that's family that's family and, and you know being essential to, to uh as fathers essential to our family just letting them know exactly how important they are so I, I definitely definitely agree with that 
<clears throat> but then there's a, a flip side to it too where um I think one guy I saw on, on social media so when I the news I think with news they talked about some guy who's feeling isolated um and during that isolation he he had actually committed suicide uh, this was maybe a couple yeah. days and um and 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 then I said a lot of times he enhances different things so he might have had loneliness mm-hmm. going on before them and uh and so a lot of times, you know, when people socially isolated become at risk, you know, for loneliness, depression. And um, of course, we may know ways uh, to 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 counter that. Um, but what are a few tips that you think uh, for some people who may not know or may need some help? What what type of um, things you think they could use to, um, you know, uh, to counterpart or fight against those type of uh, emotions? Well, uh... feelings? I, I, I think, I think uh, it's important that men get to a place that they can acknowledge their, uh, their vulnerability. That's hard. It's hard to say that I'm lonely or I'm, I'm sad or um, even get to a place where you, you acknowledge that you may be depressed. That's hard. But as you know, I spent a lot of time at the church identifying um, um, issues surrounding our mental health. We devoted a month uh, at a time to concentrating on mental health issues. We brought in uh, professionals, and I've given over, you know, that very important eleven o'clock time slot for people coming in talking about our mental yeah. health. So I'm I'm fully invested in this, and not just from the person, but from my secular job as well. We we concentrate a lot on people having sound sound mental health, and what I think we got to do, and this is so important, is make sure we have a circle of influence and a circle of relationships that can we can lean on and that this is more important, depend on in tough times. Let me tell you what I mean. I don't have a whole lot of folks who would be on in what I would call my, my friend circle. Now, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people. But in terms of people who I can just be 100% hungry in front of, the circle is real small. But what I do have the responsibility of doing right. is making sure that I maintain healthy relationships with that circle so that when I'm talking to them, they can sense that something's going on and say, hey, I know something. Or they can, they have the freedom if they need to, to call my wife and say, hey, uh, they don't sound like something's going on. What's up with it? I think it's important that we open ourselves up to that kind of thing so that we can maintain a healthy balance. I also think it's important that I can call somebody sometime and just then, you know, just 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 go off if I need to. And they listen to me. And yeah, because yeah, yeah, we stay bottled up yeah. too much with all our responsibility. Yeah. Especially in and especially in, in ministry. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen and heard over the years where you have those in leadership, well, I'll go outside of just ministry itself, but just in leadership positions where you're expected to just be, you know, A, B, C, that you're not going to fall off. You know what I mean? So you got to have somewhere to vent that out. You know, we become I, a dumping ground for everybody else's issue. And I that on a two job. Right. And so it's important. It's important yeah. that every now and then I get an opportunity, if you will, if I'm going to be, you know, if I'm going to be, and, I, and some of it is just part of the job that I have. But I gotta have an opportunity to flush that sometimes and get it up out of me, so I can have a healthy perspective of myself. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but I, I think it's important that we, you know, the people I know, 
I've been in touch with them throughout this time. I've called my boys that I've grown up with and talked about nothing, which is important. You know, yeah. laughing about old times, right, yeah. cracking on each other. Those, right. you know what I'm talking about. And, and that's, that's a way. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. We, we used to do a time. It was it was silly. It was boy stuff back in the day when I grew up. You know, we used to always crack yeah. on your mom, that kind of stuff. You know, but but those those connections <laughs> yeah. have become important, and those people that I've known for forty years uh, are still in our life. Thank God, yeah. we're still making us still alive, uh, and we get an opportunity to just call and be not Andre the pastor, not Andre the good, not even Andre the dad. And I'm just Andre. Right. Just Andre. Yeah. I forgot the nickname they used to say they used to call you, but just that old, uh, what did they say they called you in school? Some little nickname well, I, you said, I forgot. And kind of smart? Nah, it was something you say your, your, your oh, friend. Oh, my line, bro. My, 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 yeah, was my line. That was the line name. Yeah. That was the yeah. one I gave myself. That wasn't the one they gave the one they gave me was worse. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a little too bad just, just my self-identity time. When I was uh, uh, in the younger, earlier years of college, I favored, you know, everybody got a favorite something they wear or cologne or something. I favored at the time wearing Pierre Cardin clothing and shoes. And so that's why they called me Lil yeah. Pierre. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's so- what it is. Yeah, them good old just be old little Pierre back. You know, sometimes like going back to the be old little Pierre make make the best memories on the phone. Well, sometimes it, doing it, I'm gonna tell like you this, man. What I found, I went to Tuskegee uh, as an undergraduate and got a bachelor's degree. What I found in attending Tuskegee, this is valuable. Coming from Weston, predominantly black, uh, going to Tuskegee, you know, ninety percent black is that's where I grew up. Right? Yeah, that's that's why I stepped into being. Mm-hmm. A man, and the way I did that was I was in an environment where it was okay to want to be successful. It was okay to uh, be vulnerable uh, to some degree, and I found other people who were doing the same thing. And I got a circle of folks. Not all of some of my fraternity brothers. I played outside of some of them are my fraternity brothers. Some of them are just good friends. We were all in the same place. And we grew up together there. When I left Tuskegee, I felt the notion that I could do what a man's job was when I left. Uh, not because of the education, because education only gives you knowledge. Of course, it doesn't mean anything if you're not wise enough to apply it. And living gives you that wisdom to apply it. But I had the confidence leaving Tuskegee that I could compete with just by being wise. Yeah. And that confidence is a good thing. That that's one of the qualities I think that uh, you know determines to you know, be a leader. Because if you're not confident yourself, you know who, you're confident. You got, that's why you're you know doing I mean? this show. People with less confidence would have never even tried to get out into the forum. But you have the confidence that you got a voice, and that voice is worth hearing. And so I applaud you for that. Man. This, is, this is a this is a good thing. I, I appreciate that. <clears throat> Not all the way yet, but I'm I'm still uh I'm working on it. I know one thing when you saying to me about about uh about being able to to know what your uh struggles are, and I think it's one thing. I, I think uh I guess sometimes I'll be self conscious, you know. I think everyone's yeah. self conscious to a certain extent. We are. Uh, but I think 
you know, I think we're conscious, you know, I think we, sometimes we be our, our worst critic, you know. Um, but I, 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 I humbly, I, I do appreciate you. I thank you. I just, you know, <clears throat> I just always think that, you know, you see so much stuff on TV and, and social media, you know, two men. And, and I just always think there's another, there's another level to it, you know. And I think um, even us talking, you know, it'd be rare sometimes. Of, of course, it's better now over, over time, but I think just the opportunity just to have men just, just flat out just say how they feel. You know, sometimes people sugarcoat it. Sometimes people uh, uh, beat around the bush, but like, hey, just, hey, how you feel? You know what I mean? So I think it's, I appreciate that. Um, I just think that it needs to, you know, be those type of um, um, revenues out there for, for men. And that goes, I guess, jumping to my last, well, not my last, but next to the last question about um, leadership as far as mm-hmm. shortfallings. <laughs> um, it was what do you think uh, what leadership qualities you think um, are the more short supply? I want to say not just about Christians, but I think just men in general. Um, what do you think is, 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 well, is the most short supply? I, I, think, I and, think that question is the most relevant right now. And I'm seeing, when I'm seeing that there's a short supply in our community, and, and I'll even tell you me, you just, you just alluded to it, we just don't talk about it. We don't talk enough. We don't say what's on our minds or what's on our heart. And because we don't do it, we still give younger men the notion that it's just not right to talk about the feelings of Now, this younger generation, though they are freer in talking, they're not talking about what's really going on. They can be more base in what they say. You know, we, we believe in subtlety and innuendo. And this new generation that believes in coming right up to you, saying what's on their mind. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about men letting other men know that they're broken sometimes. Letting them know that they're hurt sometimes. And I find that the greatest, the greatest divide between young men and old men is we don't sit down and talk to each other and visit them. I find my greatest success is in the courtroom when I can, when I can talk to people who are in trouble so I can try to find out what the source of that trouble is. And if they'll trust me, we can probably come up with a remedy that'll help them deal with that situation. So just talking. You, you're doing a wonderful job here, opening the opportunity for people to have conversations. And I'm, I'm just so, I'm just celebrating so much. Keep people talking. Yeah. Then as a put, so I remember I, um, probably about a few months ago, every few months quarterly, I, um, a friend of mine, she works with um, juvenile delinquents also, um, the family court have classes. And I went and I spoke to him and, and I asked him, I said, well, what, what motivates you? What, you know, who do you look up to? You know, that's the most thing we ask a lot of teenagers. And um, a lot of people said basketball, some people said, uh, sports and different TV actor and that kind of so on. So one guy you may hear this a lot. One guy said he said the dope man, the drug dealer. And so at that point, a lot of parents just revved because they have to come their the guardians or, or legal guardians or parents. So they start yelling, screaming out, why do you do this? And so I just sat back and let them talk. They was like, you need to stop this. You need to stop. You don't need to look to him. And, you know, it, for about a little good five minutes. So then I guess the more they talk, the more lot of they got so then i end up intervening i said hold on hold on y'all stop 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 and i said okay yeah i did all that 
and I and, and when you, you 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 spark on something, that's what I'm going with it. And I said, y'all told him what not to do. Y'all told him um, why not to do it. And I said, through all these. And I said, and I, and I told him, I said, man, I, I applaud you for being honest with me. I applaud you for telling me up front that, you know, you look to the dope boy for, for you know, I asked him why he said the money, the car, blah, blah, blah. So then I said, well, none of the parents did in here. And I said, and I said, I want y'all to look at this the wrong way. And I said, did y'all ask him, you know, where, where how did he get there? Or why did he get there? And so the parents kind of got quiet. And I said, we have to understand not just, you know, why they're doing it but where you know how did it start where did it start from that's what we need to get to and that's what i was trying to tell them that's what i try to tell a lot of guys i talked to even there and i said we gotta understand why did it get to this point you know if something something went wrong or not even more you can have the perfect parents everything i said but something attracted him to that i said so that's what we have to get to i said and i asked him i said did them talking to you like that help you in a way he was like no because you're not, because you're not, you just yelling at him, you know, same thing, you know, we, we, we as parents, I'm sure you, hey, don't touch that. The biggest thing I know, like, don't touch the hot stove, was hot. Then once you get burnt, say, ouch, or say, yeah, that hurt. Okay, but why, why you listen to me? I don't know, I just didn't do it. So we have to understand why they, you know, go, go, you know, and that's, and, I, and that's, I love, you know, what you're doing. Um, you know how, how you know you're advising to different um, services throughout the city and, and throughout the state and that kind of thing to help them like you said some people are going to listen some people not so that's uh, uh, sometimes a bitter pill, pill to swallow but um, a lot of times you know we, we try to intervene as much as we can um, and that's one thing I try to tell this guy I said we got to understand why we are where we are you know um, and like I said during this time you have a lot of people um, just not <clears throat> understanding that um and then it go back to I guess kind of his self-examination after a while you know how can I make others better and I guess that kind of somewhat to my last question um about giving yourself a report card you know um so how do you or what do you give yourself or where do you have an improvement or where or where do you think you've made improvement recently recently I can't talk and uh where do you oh, still I mean, need more time I guess I'd have to give myself generously maybe a C plus maybe a C plus maybe Maybe that maybe maybe I made that to a B minus, but uh, I got a way to go when it comes to being more open in terms of my communication style, particularly with my children. You know, my children are grown, and one of the things you find out from having grown children, you, you, you feel like in a year, is the, the biggest thing you want to do is keep them out for because people got to learn how to make their own choices, and I've also learned. That my mouth, my voice is big in my children's lives. And so that, that makes sense to me. So when I say things, it carries a weight that I don't want them to have to deal with when they're trying to make their own choices. And so the remedy for that is for me to simply watch and listen. And if they ask for help, then I'll offer the help. I do that. Now, I can't tell you that that works well all the time because sometimes I'm not paid. Yeah, sometimes I open my mouth probably when I shouldn't open my mouth but uh, I think that's the way it has to be done that's a parent's biggest problem once they get uh, children being quiet man just yeah. being quiet and you know it works well you know the conversations you have with your your, your parents when you become grown is you, you they are telling you stuff and you say I'm grown I can make the choice I want and that's the truth yeah that's the truth there's nothing we can do 
to make you do something except exert out the, the biggest thing. This is the word I want to leave you with, Richard. The biggest leadership trait I think any man has over any other man or woman is influence. influence. And so I got to live right. Mm-hmm. And if I live right, and I live right as an example, then people will follow what I'm saying. And so living right through influence, I think that's the same thing on all at the church, on my secular job, the power of influence will allow people to uh, follow you. Um, so I think that's the word of the day for me is uh, make sure make sure your influence is yeah. respected. And I think you'll do you'll do well. Well, definitely, man. That's uh, and unless you can talk with that, <laughs> like you said, no matter what, get a benediction and go home. That's that's a good one. <laughs> Listen, I, I noticed a couple of things. You know, the Man Project is doing well, and I noticed that that Brian Green has a, the Breakfast Club going over over at uh the school, and and uh um, and I don't know that I talked to you before about this this mentoring group that I started called Presence. But I want us all to sit down together because it doesn't make sense for us all to be doing several things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, that's one thing that I've, I've always been try, striving to do. I, I tell people, I say, I say, there's no sense in having four or five different people almost with the same mission, you know, working separate. Um, so I definitely, yeah, even uh, even with, with uh, uh, Dada, David, uh, we've connected on. So um, I definitely give a Brian. Um, well, let's do it. Let's do it, man. Keep on doing what you're doing on this. Thank you so much for inviting me to the Man Project. I, I, you know, I'm watching you and celebrating you. I see you on Instagram at the different activities, and I'm. I'm 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 saying go. I'm cheering for you. Keep going, bro. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that too. You know he my I cousin. I didn't know that. Too, I didn't know Brian. you and Brian were cousins. Yeah, yeah, he could. He Man, could. He's this on Melon side. He related to Melon. I tell everybody, Birmingham was a big old country. Town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Great talking to you, yeah. brother. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Take care. Oh, you have a good one.